never let go of us. You never, ever let go. Your faithfulness is so amazing. May we wake up each day and look to you and thank you for the day that you've given us. That your mercies are death, death has been arrested and new life is here for us if we'll just receive it. Thank you for what you've done. And now as your word is preached and proclaimed, we listen to you. Reveal yourself to us as we worship certainly give kudos to Warren and his family for being here after a big wedding yesterday. Uh, boy, I tell you what, that cheesecake, I've never been to a wedding where you get your individual own cheesecake. We all went home with our eyes kind of rolled back a little bit from a sugar rush. But I know that there are a number of uh, friends and family that came for the wedding of Peter and Lauren from out of town, as well as some that came uh, from the Stewart side. But if you came for the part of the wedding, would you stand up from out of town? We're glad that you're here. We want to recognize you guys. Thanks for coming out. Good to see you. Good to have you guys here. Well, this last week, I had an experience in which the odometer in my life rolled over to 62. And I was talking to our granddaughters up in uh, D.C. and our oldest one, Nora's four, and our daughter said, well, how old do you think Pappy is? Without missing a beat, she said, 90. <laughs> and uh, then she said, well, how old do you think Emmy is? That's Michelle's name. 20? <laughs> so I was like really old, or I'm a really big creeper at 90 going out with a 20-year-old. But with age comes different dimensions, uh, one of them being, I guess, hearing loss. I was walking in, it's funny, just a few minutes ago, walking in here, and Pat Anderson said, you look familiar. What I heard was, you looking for me? And I told Pat, no, I'm not looking for you. So it's interesting how we uh, interpret things, and I'm sure many things that I will say today will be interpreted a little bit different than, than I intended. You know, if you're, uh, and I had so many texts and phone calls and cards and thoughtful gestures. Thank you so much for all of that. I, it, uh, Thursday was supposed to be kind of a normal day of work, and I spent a lot of time just answering phone calls and texts. Thank you for that. But if you did miss giving me a birthday gift, I've got good news for you. You can still give one. <laughs> and I've got a great gift. This would be perfect for my birthday. I talked to Johnny Dammon, who is a pastor of First Baptist Church of Lake Charles this week. And Johnny is the, the nephew of one of our church members, Jim Dammon, who is a retired pastor. And he oftentimes cannot attend the service because of his health. And I just felt so bad that we had completely overlooked them, even with our connection here. Last year, after, after Laura had hit 
we began to mobilize and move over to work in Lake Charles, and I don't know why I didn't think of Johnny. But boy, they have been devastated. Uh, you think about the experience that we've had. We've had COVID, and that's been bad enough, right? That's been, that's been traumatic. They had COVID plus two catastrophic hurricanes and a flood in fewer than nine months. Their church was decimated and destroyed. They won't be going back uh, to their church right now. They're just hoping uh, that a developer will buy what's left of their facilities. They're meeting at another church that was not completely destroyed. They're able to meet there, they and two other congregations. And so they are set up to meet at 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. The next church comes in at 3 o'clock, so they don't have time for Bible study or Sunday school. They simply have worship. Before the pandemic, and many of you are from the Lake Charles area, you know the First Baptist Lake Charles used to be a, a very strong, dynamic church. And before the pandemic, it had kind of dwindled down somewhat to about 200 in worship. Now they're down to about 120. When I was talking to Johnny, he was in his camper. He lives in a camper and has ever since Laura hit. Think back to last year. Because his house became inhabitable. Couldn't stay there anymore. Uh, it's that age thing. And I, and I listen to stories like that, and my heart just breaks. You know, we're all discouraged and exhausted from, from COVID. You know, just last month, they had this flood in which more people that had already been through two storms, you, you at some point, you just say, why even bother? Why try? And, and so here's the, the birthday gift that you can give me. I want us as a church to partner with them to help them out. Would you be willing to give that to me as a birthday gift? Not really to me, but would you be willing to do that? I think we need to. We're getting ready to go into a major uh, renovation of the sanctuary here. Most all of it is needed changes that we're going to be making. And, and uh, we're spending a lot of money. We voted unanimously to do that. We already had the money saved up to do that. And I think it'd be just such an incredible gesture of us to rally together with them. And one of the things I asked, you know, he, he said, because it's such a small church that they meet in, when they meet, uh, they pretty much fill up the building. I said, Johnny, I don't know if this would be helpful at all, just, just thinking out loud, what if some people from our church came over there just to worship with you guys, to kind of encourage you? And he said, that'd be great. Just don't send more than 15, because otherwise they're going to be standing. So would it be cool for, you know, 15 or so of us to just go over there on a Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock, and just stand with them and say, hey, you got a church over in Beaumont, has a really slow-thinking pastor, completely missed the first year, but we're going to stand beside you to help you from here. So uh, anyway, thank you for your encouragement about that. And we'll be, we'll be talking about it. No plans have been set. I just wanted you to, to jump in. And as always, you're so generous, and I hope we can do something incredibly generous uh, to help them out. You know, this coming uh, Wednesday, as Jeff alluded to, we're going to be having prayer and discussion about worship service worship services, what we're going to be doing. What, is, what does worship look like in post-pandemic Westgate? You know, we had to go to two services during the middle of the pandemic. Some people have really liked that. Some people have not liked that. The surveys have come back, and there's somewhat of a split about that. And so we're going to have some really tough decisions, and we're going to do that together as a church. We've been blessed with such a sweet spirit. And, you know, the, the, the reality is that not everybody's going to see the decision the way that they want. I'm not going to make the decision. You're going to make the decision as a church. I'm going to abide by whatever the church uh, votes on. But as we prepare for that, 
I want us to be so mindful of that. We, we said that we're going to pray in the worship services uh, each week until we come up to until that boat on August the 15th and to be praying individually. I hope that you're praying individually about this. And, and the process is as important as the decision and the outcome because I believe that God wants to, to teach us things about ourselves, about him. We come together to do what? To worship him. Not just to worship, but to worship him. And so we need to figure out, God, what is it you want us to do and be like? Uh, just for instance, you know, give you an idea, you know, because you, you think, well, I have, I, have, I have the right idea, let's do this. But, you know, there are four major food groups, right? Mexican, Italian, seafood, and comfort. And comfort food could be like hamburgers or, or anything else. But let's just say that all of us are going to go out to lunch after this uh, service. And so we're going to decide how many of you think we should go get Mexican? Would you raise your hand? Okay, great. How many of you think we should go get hamburgers, some kind of comfort food? All right, how about Italian? And how about seafood? Okay, as you can see, we've got a little bit of a problem, right? Because some of us like to worship Mexican. Some of us like to worship in Italian and seafood and comfort. And we have different styles and preferences that, that we like. And that's going to be a challenge for us to figure out what is best for our church. And again, I think the process is as important as the outcome. And when we come together to talk, I hope that you'll be here, number one. I hope that you will be here to participate in the discussion. You may have nothing to say or you may have something to say. But as, as the discussion takes place, don't boo people that you disagree with. I wouldn't expect that, wouldn't anticipate that, but I think it's just important for us as we prepare for this. <laughs> Fire that guy. But come prepared to hear things that you might not agree with and to say, I want to hear what they're saying and try to understand their perspective. Hear what you say. Because sometimes we say, well, this is what I want. And if we take the time to think about it, it's like, what do we really want? So we really need to just to seek the Lord in the middle of all this. I want us to pray about that in the service. I'd like for maybe three of you to stand up. This is not a time for you to say, Lord, I pray that you'll give us two services. Or, Lord, I pray that we'll have one service. This is a time for us to pray and say, Lord, sh show us your face. Show us what we need to do. And I pray that when the, when the decision is made, all of us will rally around that and we will say, let's go. Let's make it the very best that we can. So maybe three of you that would uh, just lead us in prayer as we move into the season of decision about worship services, how we can best worship the Lord, how we can be the very best church that God has ordained for us to be. So maybe three of you just to, to lead us in prayer now as we all pray together.
Amen. Thank you, guys. I hope you'll be here coming up on uh, Wednesday. Well, how many of you have been to the Macy's Day Parade? Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Anybody been there in person? Several of you have. Yeah, that's, that's a, quite an experience. I never have personally. Michelle went when uh, our daughter Megan marched in the parade, and we, have to, we discovered through that experience, if you have enough money, you can march in the Macy's Day Parade. We thought it was this really cool experience of cheerleaders. The bottom line is you just pay enough, they'll let you in on the parade. But when you think about the Macy's Day Parade, it is an amazing event. It stretches out over two and a half miles. Like three and a half million people watched it before COVID in 2019. It is an incredible experience. Well, today we're going to be talking about a parade like no other as we look to John chapter 12, a parade like no other that the world has ever seen. Even though Macy's is the world's largest parade, the parade that we see, there is no comparison to it in John chapter 12. It is a parade of one. And the great interruption, we've been talking about the way that God wants to interrupt our lives to get our attention and reveal who he is, the centrality of Christ in our lives. There are two very important crosses. The cross that reminds us that Christ is center and the cross that reminds us we must die to ourselves. And John has been reminding us throughout this book. And in John 12, we come to the beginning of the greatest interruption of all, that last week of Jesus' life. John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12, we read this. The next day, this is the next day after he had been over in Bethany, in which we talked about last week, and Mary had anointed his feet with this precious perfume. This great crowd had come for the festival. That would be the Passover. They heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and Bethany was about two miles away from Jerusalem. He was coming from the east towards Jerusalem. It says that they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus, it says in verse 14, found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Zechariah 9, 9, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Remember that John is writing six, days, six decades after this experience. And so he is saying, in the moment, we had no clue. But later on, after Jesus was resurrected and then later ascended, it all came together. It says, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they continued to spread the word. And many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. But the Pharisees said to one another as they watched this enormous parade, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. What we're seeing in John chapter 12 is a picture that nobody could have seen coming. Have you ever had a picture in your mind of how something is supposed to turn out and it's completely different? If you're married, maybe it turned out completely different than you thought. You married someone you didn't think that you were going to marry. My wife would say that. You look at romantic comedies. You think about the experience in which usually the, the, the kind of the central theme is boy meets girl and they can't stand each other. 
It's like they're never going to get together. And that's what they want you to think, but eventually they do. They didn't picture that happening. Well, in this particular piece of history, we see that nobody saw this except Jesus. They had a different picture in their mind. What's happening is, is Jesus is coming in from Bethany, from the Mount of Olives, from the east, and he is headed towards Jerusalem. It is about a one-mile stretch that he will be riding on a donkey, and there would be probably between one and possibly as many as two and a half million people. You think about Macy's, two and a half miles long, three and a half million people. This is a mile long with a million to two plus million people. And as Jesus is coming in, they're throwing down palm branches, which are symbolic of victory. They're saying, you are the victorious king. But they pictured a very different kind of king. One of the reasons they used palm branches is not only did the Romans use that as a picture of victory, but so did the Jews. The, the palm branch was actually on their coins when they were free. So it reminded them of a time in which they were free. But they're trying to understand why Jesus is coming in on a donkey. They understand the messianic passage back in, in Zechariah 9.9, but a victorious king would come in on a white horse or a chariot. Why is Jesus coming in on a donkey? To reveal that he is a humble leader. This is a parade of one. Have you ever gone to a parade of one? They don't sell very well. Who would want to go to a parade where just one person comes by and, and that's it? But everybody was thronging to this experience in which they were all shouting. And can you imagine? I was at, at Stand in the Gap uh, back in 1997 where over a million of us gathered on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. And you talk about a powerful experience. We have a million plus men singing at the same time. Well, you have a million, maybe 200, maybe 2 million people, and they're shouting, Hosanna, save us. And you can hear it reverberating all throughout the region. They were looking for something nostalgic. The days of David, when David was king and, and they ruled over everybody, they were victorious. You know, sometimes we long for nostalgia, don't we? Have you ever said, I, I wish we could go back to the, the good old days? The good old days when we didn't have air conditioning in our house or a car, didn't have internet, didn't have phones, didn't have so many conveniences. They were longing for the good old days days. They wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans, to reestablish the, the reign of David. What could be better than that? But Jesus had something infinitely better than that. Pretty amazing, you think about this Jesus coming in. He was approaching Jerusalem from the east. He was looking at the city, the city that rejected him. The city that with the same magnitude would call for his crucifixion just five days later. He would go in through the, the east gate. Uniquely, the Jews would keep the, the doors of the temple open during the Passover. Why? Because during Passover, many had proclaimed to be the Messiah. So they left the doors open in anticipation that maybe this would be the Passover that the Messiah comes in. It was also known as Lamb Selection Day. This was the day in which people would select their lamb for Passover that they would celebrate starting on Thursday evening. And they would pick that lamb without defect, the perfect lamb for the sacrifice. And here's Jesus, the Lamb of God, coming into Jerusalem. 
knowing full well that on Friday they won't select him. He would go through the sheep gate, and that's where they would take their sheep to be inspected and washed and prepared for Passover. And he would come through that gate, but he would be rejected and crucified. A parade of one like no other. So as you think about this parade that is so unique, think about the people along the the parade route. Those at the parade, first of all, we see the, the thrill seekers. Look back at verses 17 and 18. It says the crowd that was with him, when he raised Lazarus back to life, they continued to spread the word everywhere about Jesus. It says in verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign of raising Lazarus, they went out to meet him. Think about what that's about. Hosanna, save us. Save us from the Romans. They were looking for the thrill, the rush of victory, of being on the winning side, of being on the right side of history, as we so oftentimes hear. As they were shouting that out, they were shouting a passage of Scripture from Psalm 118, 25, and 26. Jesus knew that they wanted someone different than him, but for the moment, they thought he was it. They're looking for the thrill. You know, sometimes we can be that way. We can be looking for a next hit spiritually, for God to do something to, to rev up our emotions, to make us excited, and there's nothing wrong about being excited. I'm thinking about the old town out in West Texas in which a guy came in and looked pretty run down. He stopped at the little corner market there, and he says, what do you guys do for excitement around here? And the old man said, around here? We don't get excited. Sometimes we feel that way about spiritual things. A lot of the Christian life is a challenge. But we long for that thrill. Sometimes people cycle from one church to the next to the next looking for that hit. Jesus didn't come to give us a thrill. He came to give us eternal life. Is he interested in our lives being filled with joy? You bet. You think about it for just a moment. What Jesus is about to endure on the cross, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him. It was his joy in relationship with the Father that gave him strength to endure the cross. I love being happy. I wish I was happy more. But you know, what excites me more than that is to know God's power and joy, presence and strength in the midst of difficulty along the journey. Well, you had the thrill seekers there. They were so jacked and pumped that this was the moment that Jesus was going to ride into town and overthrow the Romans. The second group that we see there at the parade are the killjoys. Look at the Pharisees in verse 19. It says, The Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. You can only imagine what it felt like for them. We have, we have been at football games maybe where there have been 100,000 people in the stadium all cheering at the same time, and you hope they're cheering for your team. But here is the Pharisees, the Pharisees in their group together, and they look out, and it feels like the whole world, all just enormous volume crying out, Hosanna, and says, look, the whole world has gone after him. 
What were they most concerned about? They were concerned about their position, their preferences, their comfort, the loyalty that the people had given them. And that was all a threat to them. Sometimes we can be standing along the parade route as this incredible experience of Jesus walking by. And we're thinking about what we're losing. There is that human tendency to fear giving God all of our lives. It's called lordship, of complete surrender to him. It feels good to have Jesus on our side, but to completely surrender everything to him can be, can be frightening. These guys are a picture of that. They did not want to lose what they had. Along the parade route, we also see the, the scouts. Look at verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. This is all about the Passover again. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. They said, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. So Philip ran it up the chain of command to Andrew, and they turned to Jesus. But Jesus didn't grant their request. In fact, Jesus saw that as a reminder that he had come so that the whole world could come to him. The Pharisees were saying something prophetic, that he didn't come just for the Jews, but he came for all of humanity to liberate us from the power and the penalty of sin. The scouts, in a good way, they're curiously trying to understand who Jesus is. We don't exactly know who these people are. A lot of speculation. But they represent those outside of the Jewish household. It could be that, that they were God-fearing people that were trying to better understand God, much like Cornelius in the book of Acts. It could be that they were converting over to Judaism and, and they were trying to figure out how Jesus fit in there. And they're asking for private audience as to who Jesus is, but their hearts are good. They're curious, like scouts in a baseball game. You know, I didn't want to use football because oftentimes you, you go to a, uh, like a football game and there's scouts there and they're trying to figure out the defense and the offense and trying to figure out how they can beat you. But baseball scouts go out and, and they're following their guy, the guy that they're thinking might really be the, the next big deal. So they're watching him to confirm that this is the right pick. I have only one experience of that, and it's kind of a, a fun story. Uh, just when I was a senior in high school, we, we had a guy that pitched for us that uh, he was the 17th um, person to be drafted uh, that year after we graduated from high school. Tremendous pitcher. And so a cool experience when we would go to away games, and sometimes home games, but most of the time away when we'd go to Tucson, Arizona, there would be some scouts there. They would have their radar guns clocking how fast he would pitch, and they were watching him to, to make sure he was the guy. And I was out in the outfield, and I had aspirations that someday that I might play professional baseball, a total fantasy. But I had a rocket arm, strong arm, and, and I was thinking, you know, this might be my day to really show them there's someone else out there. And so a ball came out into the outfield, and all of these things were running through my mind at the same time. I was, I was thinking, this is my chance. That guy's rounding third. I'm going to scoop the ball up, pick it up. I'm going to fire a rocket to home plate. The guy's going to be out. And all of a sudden, the scouts are going to start looking out into the outfield. So we hadn't thought about that guy. He was all a picture in my mind. 
Have you ever had a picture in your mind that didn't quite turn out the way that you planned? <laughs> so here it came. The ball was there. The, the set, the, everything was set in place. It couldn't have been more perfect. And I ran in on that ball, and I was going to scoop it up and just take it out of my glove, and boom. And I went down, and I came up, and there was no ball in my glove. That ball had gone past me, and the center fielder came over and picked it, and the guy scored, and you get the picture. It wasn't the picture in my mind. Well, these guys, these scouts, they came picturing that Jesus was the one that they were looking for, and they were looking for confirmation. But Jesus gives them the purpose for this parade. Look down in verses 23 through 26. It, it reminds us that a parade always points to something else. It's not just a parade is not a parade in and of itself. What, what is the Macy's Day Parade about? It's about Christmas. It points to Christmas, and that's why it ends with Santa Claus. It's like it this ushers in the, the Christmas season for all of these purchases to be made. And Jesus is saying this parade, this triumphal entry as we call it, is pointing to Jesus' victory. He didn't come to have another conversation with a group of people. His public ministry is over. He came to fulfill the hour that God had ordained for him to die for our sins. And he would talk about this fruitfulness of a seed. Unless a seed is planted in the ground, it will never bear fruit. You think about that. Some of you are gardeners and you're enjoying a great garden right now. I, man, I have never been able to grow anything except weeds. Uh, I remember a time one of our former church members, Paul Montgomery, came and he, he, he brought a pot over with the right soil and the tomatoes already planted and I still didn't get any tomatoes. Well, you know what it's like when you have a kid and you have a seed, and, and you dig a little hole, and you're getting ready to, to put that seed in there, and, and maybe they're a little reluctant to let the seed go because, because they're going to lose the seed, and they don't understand that when they put it in the hole, it's going to grow up and create more seeds and a whole plant. That's what Jesus was saying. Is, I didn't come to talk to more people. I came to plant my life on a cross, to die as a seed does, so that I can be raised to new life and give eternal life to all who will call on my name. Amazing thing about seeds. Seeds will remain seeds until they're planted. Sometimes there's a discovery in antiquity and they find seeds buried in a great tomb and they're still seeds. And they can take those seeds and plant them and they will grow. And Jesus says, that's why I came to give my life, and that's what I'm calling you as believers to do, is to give yourselves completely over to me. Our lives will be barren until we plant ourselves in Jesus Christ and surrender all that we have to him, and then amazing things begin to happen. Now think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. What an experience. As he was coming from the east toward Jerusalem, with all of these people screaming Hosanna, he would see the pinnacle of the temple that would be in front of him. Do you remember the last time we talked about the pinnacle of the temple? Where Satan had taken him. And he said, if you will throw yourself off of here, it's about 40 to 50 stories tall. If you'll throw yourself off of here and let the angels save you, everybody will trust in you. It was an alternate plan to God's plan. 
And Jesus is riding in, hearing all of the hosannas, all the reverberation of cheers, knowing full well that they would turn against him, but he knew that he was following God's plan. He had rejected what Satan had offered him. He was coming in triumph. And it says that he, he would say, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Referring to the Greeks, not just the Jews, but for all men who trust in Christ. I will draw them to myself. And that, that term, if I be lifted up, threw people off because it was a common idiom of the day. People understand if, if someone is lifted up, it meant that they were crucified. And they're like, wait a second. If you're the son of man, the Messiah, how could you be crucified? And then there was this thought that maybe there were two Messiahs. There were, there were two different assignments to people coming. Jesus says, if you lift me up on the cross, then I will draw all men to myself. But it's not just about being lifted up on the cross. It says, if I be lifted up from the earth, meaning his resurrection, if I am lifted up from the earth in resurrection, and then lifted up from earth to ascension. He was drawing a picture of what he was doing. For the Romans, you had to conquer five thousand people to have a parade thrown in your honor like this Jesus wasn't yet victorious yet he was but what I think is really neat about that number you have to conquer 5,000 people to have a parade in Acts chapter 4 remember this parade is pointing to something look at Acts chapter 4 verse 4 it says on that day the church grew to five Jesus was triumphant. So we ask ourselves today, where are you on the parade route? A thrill seeker? Just looking for another emotional rush through worship or something else? Frustrated when it's not there? Are you a killjoy? Kind of just drawing yourself into yourself not wanting to lose anything, not to surrender anything to Christ for fear of, of what you might lose, or, or are you a scout? Trying to confirm that, yes, Jesus is the one we need to follow. Are you following Christ today? Know that he loves you, and he's created you to have a relationship with him. And that is the greatest need of our life. Can't imagine anybody wanting to walk through life without God's presence and power, his grace, love, and forgiveness in our lives. But the truth is, we can't do that by ourselves. We will never enter into a relationship with God except through Christ. Our sin separates us. We're going to see later on, as John writes, Jesus, Jesus would be crucified because our sin is that serious. It's the only way our sin could be redeemed. And thankfully, Jesus did that. The sinless Son of God. So if we will humbly repent of our sins, and completely surrender our life to Christ, we can be changed for all of eternity. I wonder if maybe someone in this room or listening online has never done that. Most of you have, and I celebrate that. We celebrate what we have in Christ, that he is our victorious king who comes in and is victorious over all things. But if you haven't received him, I pray that you would voice a prayer similar to the one that I'm about to pray. And make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this, this piece of history that John reminds us of. 
this great picture of your victory. God, you are Lord and Savior. You are Lord of lords and King of kings, conqueror of all. Thank you for the victory that you have given us over the power and the penalty of sin by the sacrifice that you have made for us. Thank you for loving us that much. Lord, if someone listening now has never received Christ, might they pray a prayer similar to this? Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for Christians who have already received you, I pray that they are voicing a similar prayer for those that they love that do not yet know you. That they are crying out for the salvation of their family and friends. God, give us a burden to make a difference for your kingdom. Give us the capacity to see that when we completely surrender our life to you, like a seed that is surrendered into the ground, then we become the fruitful people that you've created us to be. May we all do that in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And if you decided to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, please let us know about your decision so we can help you with the next steps. That's not the end of the game. That's the beginning of the game in a relationship with Christ. You can text Westgate to 94000. Let us know of your decision. If you want someone to pray with you, you can do the same. You can meet one of the staff members at the crosses, over the prayer benches, or out in the atrium during the song that we're going to sing. I'd love to pray with you. You're welcome to pray at the altar or anywhere that you would like. But this is a time of worship. Not a time to collect our things to leave, but a time of worship. So let's stand together and worship our victorious King.